Let's drop the green flag on this episode of the Talent Tank Podcast with your host, Wyatt Pemberton, bringing you the best, fastest, most knowledgeable personalities in Ultra 4 and off-road racing. All right, here we go. Second installment of the spring 2021 Talent Tank Sessions. I think this is episode 42. And on with us, while you clicked in today, you're curious about this guy that you've probably seen a lot on the internet lately, uh, certainly since February, what he's up to, James Schofield. Mr. Schofield, how you doing, man? Doing pretty good. Getting around a lot better than I was uh, two months ago, but uh, everything's going good on my end. Well, let's so. talk, let's talk about that. Let's talk about, uh, let's talk about how, how do you go ahead and, and, you know, this is a, this is a long story. James, James was a uh, co-driving for a, the infamous Tom ways at King of the hammers, uh, here 2021 out in Johnson Valley, California. And it took a, a lifetime of your dedication to motorsports to find yourself in the right seat with, uh, with Tom ways, but then you guys took a tumble. Yeah. And you got your world rocked. Yeah. Walk us through what it was leading up to KOH that ended up with you co-driving for Tom. Well, I mean, it started a couple of years ago. It wasn't uh, 2020. It was uh, a couple of years ago. It was, I want to say it was like two years ago. Uh, that option came available when he got the new two-seat car built it could never work out with my drag race schedule. You know, I kind of pre-commitment on the uh, drag racing side and their first race is the same weekend as the hammers. So I can't wait to talk about drag racing. Cause that's you've, you've, right. in, you, you've introduced me to your world there and <laughs> right. I've had good times with those people. So, <laughs> but uh, some of that stuff with Tom, I mean, it, it, we met back, man, it's probably been, I'd say 2009, something like that. And, uh, we met at the hammers and, uh, this is back, man, when Nicole Johnson drove for us at blue torch, we had the same radio frequency, like one number off. So he was getting stepped on by her, blah, blah, blah. Like she flopped in the rocks or something like that. And they were trying to reach us at pit. And then Tom comes through pit and it's like, Hey man, your car's upside down down here, blah, blah, blah. And then we kind of hit it off after that with, uh, him and Greg Hussey. Old school Hussey. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. This is, this is old school Tom ways and Hussey, you know, chewing tobacco in their mouth type rock crawler guys days. And, uh, hit it off after that. And then Tom had the single seat car that tribe did and sheer built. And then, um, he had some tuning issues with it. One KOH and we were there like a week early and, some of the tuning stuff that I was messing with, uh, Tom come over and just kind of, kind of opened it up like, Hey man, if you ever need anything, let me know type thing. And then it turned into, Hey, come fix my, you know what? And then the rest is history with that whole situation. But I kind of feel like Tom and I are from like the same side of the railroad tracks. If you know, like just good dude, don't have a million dollars to, to, to race with a big, you know, big sponsorship deal, but he, he gives it his all. So I think that's kind of why I kind of like him as much as I do, as far as helping him out where I can, you know, I've done engines for him in the past, did the engine for his new car when it first came out. And we're going to talk about that too. <laughs> Your yeah, motor so, skills. Uh, right? That worked out pretty good. And then, um, just the deal with the drag race inside of it, you know, that that's a, 
25, 26 races a year type of thing. So you kind of sign up beforehand and that's what it is. It's fixed. So every year that Tom asked me to co-ride with him or come to a race with him, it always has to work around the the NHRA. Yeah. Yeah. This year, uh, with all the COVID Corona crap going on, they postponed Pomona as not being the first race of the year. So Tom called me in, I want to say end of November or January, something like that. And, uh, or December, I mean, and, uh, we kind of put it together and, and made it make sense. And next thing you know, I show up at the hammers and it's, it's on, I show up to Reno to help him, uh, run the valves on his car and then, um, kind of load up his trailer and his junk show. And we head to the hammers. So kind of kept everything on the quiet, you know, so you know, like super quiet. So yeah. we met you and I met right around that same time, the 0809 ish yeah. time frame. And I, the first time I, you know, raced with you was you, you called me out of the blue, like, <laughs> like kind of like, Hey, what are you doing? Was it like this weekend or like next weekend? It was something close. Right. And you're like, Hey, we're running a Jeep speed. The mint was this about? Mint 2011, 2010. It's somewhere in there. I, I want to say 20, mint 2010, probably. It was probably 10. Yeah. Yeah. And you said, Hey, yeah. we're running a Jeep speed. You want to come? Yep. And I'm like, Hell yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> exactly. Southwest Airlines, let's go. So all day train wreck. <laughs> and I came from uh, the airport right to Fremont Street and catch you guys in contingency line. That's like, that was like how it's short notice. Like, maybe you guys, you might have called me two days beforehand. It was like ridiculous. Right, right. And uh, get there and, and just had a blast with you uh, and James Carner. And who was the Jason other cat? That was no, Jason Carner. Sorry, Jason Carner. God, uh, I said James. Jason Carner. And Carter. then uh, Mikey DeLara, which was a fab school kid. That's right. Troy Johnson. We had Troy's trailer, which we wrecked. Yeah. Uh, yeah. My bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, an 18, it wasn't yeah. your fault. That 18-wheeler hit us. I know, man. That 18-wheeler hit us. Well. Well, I, I, well, I want to come back to that story about how we don't you, but so you, you can see like the, the, the history of been in motorsports for, you know, off-road motorsports. We've touched on some NHRA stuff, but so right. NHRA schedule for 2021 delayed COVID it's Pomona, it's Pomona, California. No way right. that there's going to be a race that's going to happen in Johnson Valley, California, but it does. And right. And so you help Tom load up and I, yep. I get out there and I, of course I'm going to come see Tom. I mean, T- Tom's, you know, a, a buddy of mine, you know, friend, I always love talking with Tom. I walk into y'all's pit. You guys are working on the three, two, one car and you yep. were under the car, but I didn't see you. I didn't even hear you. And then all of a sudden you start talking to me like, right. Like, hey buddy, what are you doing? <laughs> I don't even know yep. what you said. I'm like, who's that? Who's that? Like, huh? <laughs> Like, you know, like like my ears go up, who's that down there? And it was you. And I'm like, what are you doing here? And you're like, I'm right seating it, man. Like I'm I'm I'm, I'm working on this thing. I'm fixing all of Tom's junk. Yeah. So so we get, we, we, we do a walk around on the car. Tom tells some stuff you were working on. What were you working on? Was it a dry sump? You're working on something odd. Man, there's no telling the problem. The problem is when you, I guess I look at it differently coming from like the drag racing side of stuff. If you don't look at stuff, it's going to bite you in the butt. 
I would almost rather look at every single thing before you race it to determine that everything is raceable instead of just assuming that the last time you put it in the trailer, it was good to go. That's a novel idea. You know, it's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) But like Tom is on that same program. He, He gets it. And so like, it's a lot more than putting a wrench on everything. There's a lot of stuff we do even on Tom's car or even at the blue torch cars. When we had them, it was a lot of work, but it, it, it never, it never really bit you in the butt if you did it. So it's just doing your homework, you know? So, you, so you guys get the car all good qualify yep. race day. Yeah. Walk us through how, how that, how that morning went, brush your teeth. Cause I think that comes into play later. Right, right. It does. <laughs> so yeah, I, uh, you know, picked out the best clothes I could wear under my fire suit, get ready to do the deal. And we walk over to, uh, line up and staging and all that kind of good stuff. And they're warming up the car and the diffs and Tom's guys are freaking awesome for what they do and got us all ready to go. So Tom and I could kind of take our time getting over there to staging and uh, we started 10th, so I think we started beside, oh, man, I can't remember. We were behind Brian Caprera, I believe. But you're on the fifth row. I mean, you guys are, I mean, up there. It's yeah. in that, that first wave of you're going to get yeah. it. Like, we're leaving. Yeah, we started beside uh, Raul Gomez, I believe. And uh, basically, we took the green, and we opted to go straight desert like everybody in front of us. And Tom's car just gets it for what it's worth, you know? And uh we ran a super conservative pace for the first lap for sure. Trying not to beat ourselves, you know what I mean? To where the car's not just getting beat and we're making passes that we need to make when we need to make them instead of forcing the issue. But uh, make it all the way through Cougar Buttes coming back in and we catch Lauren in the little rock trails coming back to pit one. He's there and, and it kind of there for the taking. If we wanted to just let Tom go full Tom ways on it, it would have happened. <laughs> right? But you just, Tom's a freaking great driver. Like his whole demeanor in the car, like the conversations we had in the car, are pretty priceless for what they're worth. But uh, ran that conservative pace. We come in from pit one and uh, I'm sorry, not from pit one, but uh, back to main pit. Uh, they, load us up with fuel and top everything off. And, uh, after that we go out, start lap two. And well, I want to get off on a tangent here before we get, you know, towards the, the meat and potatoes of this story. Yeah. Co-driving for Tom Ways. There's not a lot of people that have done that. Certainly not in the last, you know, you know, greater than 10 years ago. Yes. Uh, then he went single seat for a long time. What is that like? If you're not a, how do I put this? Cause Tom's very black and white. And hundred percent, there's, there's no gray area. It's either, it's either you're at 110% or you're at zero. You're either on his channel or you are on planet Mars. A hundred percent. So, so (laughs) what's that like? It's, I guess there's a, uh, there's like a mutual respect there. So if you, as a driver and as a co-driver, like you have to have the respect that the guy telling you where to go is telling you the truth. You know what I mean? Where if, if you're a driver and you're just counting on the guy sitting in the passenger seat, you're kind of screwed if both of y'all don't know what you're doing. So if Tom is driving, 
somebody completely new, it would scare them to death. But Tom drives like how I drove when I got to drive in in some of that stuff where driving by the seat of your pants more or less is Tom style, but he has a whole lot of dirt bike experience to, to, to ride at that level that he does. Like he's a cycle of his, of Tom ways is kind of up there. Like the dude will go for hours without food or water just to keep going instead of, you know, the average guy would slow down and take a break and this and that. But I would say Tom's situation riding with him, it's a lot of fun, but I've ridden with Tom in the past. So that's kind of not a new thing. I guess you'd say be new thing at the hammers. Yes. But like we were over in China and stuff like that, I got to ride with him and kind of went for a wild ride over there. So this isn't my first Tom Ways situation where I got banged up a little bit, but it's part of it. So, <laughs> right. So, so y'all, y'all come into main pit and, uh, and then you gas up and go out of main. And then yep. did you guys go to back door then, or did you guys? No, no, we opted to take back door on third lap. And uh, it was playing out to just be our side of things was trying to figure out tire life or what we're doing or killing a drive line or not killing a drive line. That was kind of his big fear of that. Like don't tax the car for what it's worth. You know, if we we're going to winch back door anyways, let's just winch it on the third lap when everything's fresh and, kind of go for the rest of it, but uh, just trying to get the separation between the first group of cars and like lap traffic coming in on lap two. So right. just trying to check out where we could. So I think we were running fifth or something like that. when We came through main pit uh, after lap one. And how much do you enjoy? Because I'll tell you, I greatly enjoy talking strategy with Tom ways. So Tom ways has his way of doing stuff. And then there's people that help Tom ways that are helping him on his pit side of things that are that next level. You know what I mean? Where you have the guy that says we get two miles a gallon. And then there's the guy that shows you on paper that it's 2.4 miles a gallon. That's, that's the difference in the way Tom's guys are. And then like the notes that you take in the GPS, like, pulling the GPS out of the car, plugging it into a battery while you're sitting on the couch and just putting in all your notes from the day, putting that same GPS set up in the Raptor truck, running laps and laps and laps and laps of that as the course changes throughout the week with all the other races that went on that shared some of the first lap. And uh, like just seeing how it's changed from day to day and then car to car. So when we go from the Raptor to the race car and keep making changes every day that for big changes yesterday that today they don't need to be that big of a change or a big of a, you know, a hazard. It, it's not as bad as it was two days ago type of thing where, uh, that kind of stuff is what gets you, you know, and then trying new stuff in, on the car. Like let's try a new driveline for this to get more mile an hour. Let's try this for more RPMs. Let's try this for, it's all kinds of that strategy that plays into it versus just, building a brand new car and hoping for the best. So, yeah, I, I w yes, absolutely. And I, the part of the strategy I like working with him is, and he's kind of my go-to on this and he'll tell you multiple calls. Tom doesn't text, but is the, you know, like and it started the Genesis of this started, uh, when he, uh, took a back of the pack start at KOH four or five, six years ago, I don't know how many years ago. And, right. and so, right. so shooting strategy with him since the, you know, right. he's, he's, fun to strategize like pit strategy, mileage strategy, 
when to do right. backdoor, when not to do backdoor. And so it's always cool to see, you know, the way his head works. And then he's asking everybody else too. I mean, he may tell you he's going to do something, but he's only telling you that because he wants to hear what you have to say about it. So, right. Right. So you guys, you guys lied out of there and you're in running roughly fifth. I think we're like fifth overall, like fifth position and then physically fifth, I guess. And then we go out and we're catching Raul Gomez again. We pass him on the first lap coming out and he passes us back in main pit. And then uh, going around those trails up against the mountain, going to lap two, coming up the backside of Spooners. That's the next section that we were coming to with Spooners and uh, everything's going good. Like not, not killing the car at all or anything like that and man we hit a hit a big g out and the next thing you know that was pretty wild ride that we took it felt like it was 10 minutes long and really it was only like 15 seconds and the rest is history the rest is history (laughs) and so uh uh, you guys tumble you guys are on that you know hit those those the big huge rollers there on uh the mdr course yeah uh at the north end of the valley as you guys you know come out of emerson i believe that's emerson headed towards spooners yep and you guys just you yard sail it uh gomez is almost you know took the trophy truck out there you know two days before i mean or maybe they did uh there, there's been numerous people have wadded up on those i've gone through there and you know really puckered hard and because they sneak up we all know they're there We've all hit yeah. them a billion times, but then they just sneak up on you when you're going 80 yeah. miles an hour. It's crazy how quickly they're there. And so, right. and Tom's gone over those hundreds of times at this point, you know, quite a few. We, we, we did it probably 15 times for that week of pre-running and everything was fine. So, you know, it would, it would toss you around a little bit, but you knew it was there and kept on going. But this time it threw it up on the nose and Tom did everything he could do to drive out from under it. And when it hooked the front bumper, once it passed that point of like no return, it's not driving out of it. It hooked the front bumper. And that's what I think got my collarbone was that first initial hook. And then at that point, my left shoulder belt is kind of pointless. So I'm just along for the ride on the inside because my uh, right side was basically the only thing holding my body back in the seat at that point so did full revolution forward front flip slammed down on the ground slid around did a roll to the side landing on the or stopping on the passenger side at what point did it end for you did you go unconscious i never did i was actually awake (laughs) so you remember it all see tom Tom also says he remembers it all but you know i I talked to you know wayne Wayne israelson and cam Steele were two of the first guys on scene and well, Raul Gomez was the first he, one. He was first one. Cause he was right behind you guys. You guys had just passed him and he, right, blo- right. so he blocked traffic. He ran yep. up there. Then Cam Steele and Cam Steele. Um, I actually saw a video recently of Cam Steele mm-hmm. stopping, you know, on for down riders. You know, it's, it's what you do. Uh, you go make sure the guys right. that wrecked in front of you are, are good and then resume your race. And it was dust to glory too, dust to glory. And, uh, there was a scene in there where the, the truck in front of Cam, uh, wrecked, but so they, they stopped for you and, and Wayne, Wayne said, y'all were out cold. I know. I don't know if y'all were, don't we remember. Were, we all said I you don't were, know yeah. if we were not, but Wayne, Wayne said, y'all were both dirt napping it in there. <laughs> you know, like, like they were scared. Uh, but so they get Tom awake and you awake Tom that gets out of the car right? and you, you're, you, the car comes to rest. 
on the passenger side. So your side of the car is down and you get your belts off somehow and you just crumble into the window net at the bottom of the car. And Tom is yelling at you from what I've been told. And his recount of it is he's telling you to come on, get out of there. And you go to use your left hand to grab the shifters and the, to, to pull yourself up and you got nothing. There's nobody home. (laughs) And and, and what did you, what did you say to him? Like, Hey man, shit ain't working over here, man. Probably something along those lines. (laughs) And the dash bar, the bottom of the dash bar, absolutely eviscerated your right kneecap. Yeah, I got my left leg, my left kneecap, and, oh, left my, kneecap. Uh, and my right kneecap. So my right kneecap ended up getting basically exploded from either the bottom of the right. dash or the bottom of the GPS. But that was visibly, you could look through, look at my leg and see that that wasn't in the right spot where it was supposed to be. So basically we land on the passenger side. We're talking back and forth on the radio. Like, you got to get up. And I'm like, dude, I'm trying something's not right. You know, there's a few things not right, like immediately not right, but, uh, just trying to pull myself up from the kind of position myself to slide my butt down to the, to the ground out of the seat by taking the belts off. And there, there was nobody home on my left shoulder. So that didn't help me at all. And then when I did take my belts off, I slid around and got on the ground, but my back felt like I had like three gallons of icy hot on it. So, that didn't really feel that great once I got out of the seat because of the containment seat. But uh, my knee and my leg didn't bother me that much until they got me out. And then when they stood me up and got me out of the car, I was standing there and uh, they stood me up straight up and outside of the car and everything was good. And I went to take a, to like move my weight around to stand up correctly. And I just buckled. There was no stopping my weight going backwards. And, uh, when I did, it took the top part of my kneecap and pulled it up into my thigh. So that was pretty excruciating pain for what it's worth. So, Ow. uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. When that, when that piece that's not meant to go up there goes there, it's not good. So yeah. And then they, they drug me around to the other side of the car cause we had some fuel leaking and, uh, they were going to try to pull the car back over and, uh, waited there for, I don't know, probably 10 minutes or something like that for everybody to, medic and all that kind of stuff to show up. And then, uh, JT shows up and he's like, what's the deal? And kind of told him what was going on with me. And the paramedic cuts my suit off up to my knee. And, uh, he said, uh, Oh, we need to cover that back up. The pieces are kind of hanging out. So we need to, uh, just bandage that up enough to get you out of here. And I want to say it was like 38 minutes or something like that for the helicopter. And, at that point, Tom was going to kill the guy that was running the paramedic situation because the guy showed up with like a fanny pack full of Band-Aids and Tom Ways wasn't feeling that. Didn't have any uh, splints or none of that kind of stuff. Yeah, so, Tom's done enough backcountry stuff and seen enough stuff in, you know, oh, backcountry Alaska. Tom was just <laughs> like, hey, you need this, you know, blah, 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 this number, neck brace and blah, blah. And the guy's like, all I got's like this. It was like that episode of Joe Dirt where, where he's like, all I got sparklers, man. That's kind of what this guy had. <laughs> we, we aren't set up for you. So they, uh, the, the, the call was, we'll put, get you in a truck and get you to Hammertown to get you on an ambulance, right? Yeah, I kind of left it to JT and Tom as far as like this guy wanted to wait. And I was like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm tired of waiting. So whatever these guys think is we need to do, we need to get it because it's setting in. And like reality is hit that 
I'm hurt. It ain't it ain't good, you know. So I opted to uh, ride out in the back seat of a Chevy pickup truck that the guy thought was a trophy truck, and it was on. So <laughs> they stuff you in the back of a crew cab, and 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 you book it across. Yeah. You know, it's it's not that many miles. Was it three miles south? But you can damn near it, see him recount from where the wreck was. Man, it was probably a twenty-five minute drive yeah. or something like that. Get back, get you in an ambulance, and uh, yeah. and then did they take you straight to Palm Palm Springs yeah. to Palm Desert? Yeah, straight to Palm Desert. Yeah, and then for, from there, rolling in the ER, and what was the the ultimate prognosis of what was wrong with you at that point in time? Besides the obvious, the knee, they, the collarbone. So so right knee, left collarbone, and then. Yeah your back felt pretty, pretty, pretty special. Yeah. So they, they, they wouldn't give me any, uh, medication to like make everything calm down. But so they cut my fire suit off the rest of the way, all my garments and all that crap. And then, uh, they were actually tripping out on the fact that I was wearing a catheter and this guy was like, I don't understand why you put this on. I'm like, this is how you do it. When you race, you, you don't stop to pee. And so that guy was freaking out about that, but when he got all that crap off, they take me to, uh, or get to looking at my knee. They cut the bandage off. The guy was like, Hey man, I hate to do you like this, but we got to stitch this up before we can get any x-rays. Cause you're, you're bleeding. And I'm like, okay. And he's like, you're just fixing to take it like it is. There's no medicine I'm giving you. And I was like, well, I don't really have an option. If that's, that's the least of my problems right now is the stinging from getting stitches without medication. And so I took eight stitches like a champ and then went to uh get an x-ray and determined that my collarbone was sitting on my left lung diaphragm area they did a mri on my back and then that's when they figured out that i had five compression fractures in my back and so uh my my knee situation was something they were going to fix right away and then do my shoulder at the same time and then they determined that they wanted to do a a rod in my back for my L one, two, and three. And then my T five and six was okay to heal on its own based on your ribs are there to support that area. So wow. yeah, it's, it's pretty nuts. So this all happened like race day. So there was no like figuring out what we're going to do tomorrow. This was okay. This is what we're doing now. You're going to go in for surgery tonight for fix your leg. And then, We'll fix your shoulder at the same time because you'll already be out type of situation. So I broke my collarbone, just took the collarbone out. It broke it in two spots. So that piece was just hanging out. And uh, I go in for knee surgery. So I'm in ICU for a day, I think. And then I go the next day. So I was there for a full day. The next, So Monday I had surgery on my leg. And then I wake up and my shoulders just got tape all over it, but it's sitting like nothing's happened to it. And, uh, basically they said they tried to fix it to where it would stay and it didn't. So a day later I went in for shoulder surgery, fixed that situation. And then, um, they wanted me to stay to do the, my back situation, fix it. And I opted at that point to let the swelling go down on my back. Cause I had like two pool noodles running down the side of my spine and, just ready to get out of California for what it was worth. It wasn't the greatest uh, stay of a hospital, I would say, but 
the people that took care of me did. If my understanding of Palm Desert was, you know, because it's it's location of Glamis, they're really good for compression fractures. They're you know back back, back their ER is good, but right the after, trauma was good. Yeah, yeah, trauma's good, but after you right. leave the trauma, it's you're, you're it is not good. Own. Then you add in COVID. Um, that's very suboptimal. Um, I talked to Tom, one of the points I talked to Tom, he was sleeping in his truck in the parking lot of the hospital waiting on, like just to get updates. They wouldn't let anyone in because of COVID Right. somewhere in there, your wife and I end up talking or texting and then shout to, uh, the icon guys at icon suspension, which is Tom sponsors. They get, uh, your wife, April, they get her on a plane to fly her from Alabama where y'all live out to California yep. to, to get to you. And then she's, I think Tom picks her up at the airport and they go eat lunch together because yep. she can't come in the, you know, in the hospital, but at least she's now there. Right. Yeah. Tell me if, if I, if my recollection is terrible, but you know, it's definitely your story here. And she is messaging me about, Hey, you know, we're thinking, you know, what do you think of this? She needed, you know, she needed some, you know, saying other things, people, you know, to bounce ideas off. What if he didn't do his back surgery there? What if I bail him out now? Like what, what if, and, and then she walked through all of the perils and all the things that were not really jiving. Well, you weren't getting the best treatment at the hospital. Once you, you know, we said this after you left trauma and then they came forward and they said that they would release you at some point, they would release you to a hotel. Walk all that through, man. It was after my shoulder surgery, like everything was hurry up. We're going to fix everything. And then after my shoulder surgery, it was like everything slowed down. So there was no hurry up to get you anything and blah, blah, blah. And I, I didn't have a whole lot of communication with anybody other than April at the time, just cause it was so freaking overwhelming, just everybody reaching out. But, uh, to try to make something make sense where I'm on all kind of pain medication and stuff like that. And they're poking and prodding you every four hours to see what's going on. And I had a hard time trying to make it make sense. So what it's probably going to cost me something with my wife, but at the end of the day, the, I quit taking my pain medication at the hospital and it was probably 15 pills at a time. And I quit taking it and I was just, they would bring me my medication and they'd give me my food and I would take my pills and I would just push them into the mashed potatoes or the pudding. And after like two times of that, I went to bed and I slept like a million bucks because I still had an IV full of pain med happening, but the oral side of it, I wasn't taking. And then, uh, I woke up at like four in the morning or something like that. Like I was detoxing bad and I woke up with enough mindset to say, okay, I'm ready to get out of here. What do we got to do to get me out of here? Like I'm going home. I know there's pl- places back home here in Alabama that, that specialize in this. So I'm not taking your word for it. You guys were going to fix my shoulder and my knee at the same time, only to find out that you didn't when I woke up. So just trying to make sense of it. Cause I couldn't have anybody at the hospital on my behalf, like Tom or any of his guys. I mean, they even tried to be my family. They tried to say that they were my brothers and sisters and all this kind of crap and they wouldn't let them in. And then, uh, they wouldn't even let my wife in. So, yeah, well, we talked about, you know, I brought the, like the brushing your teeth the morning of the race. Oh, so yeah. I, I want to say it was like Tuesday or even Wednesday 
racist. Dude, it was Wednesday. It was Wednesday. April told me that you finally were able to brush your teeth on Wednesday. I can't, I can't go five hours, you know, into the day of not brushing. Your teeth. And so you're Saturday and you go five days without a toothbrush. And then yeah. even like the needing to go to the restroom, you needed help to get up and go to the oh, bathroom. Yeah. And they, yeah. they didn't have like a nurse call button. No. And no, I mean, this is it, like, it wasn't great, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and, and so I hear all this from April. It's like, bro, we've got to get you out. Like, like, <laughs> like, and I'm telling her like, she, you got, you got, if you can get him out of there, get him out of there. So she yeah. gets you bailed out somehow. Yeah. So, so I talked to her, I briefly talked to you. I remember, and I talked to her and she was like, you're getting out like in next day or two. And then, uh, under the condition that I can't fly for a few days, like I had to wait a week or something like that to be able to fly home. And it, there's a hotel right around the corner. So I get out, she picks me up from the hospital and we go about a mile around the corner and it's all I can do to get in and out of this minivan that we rented and get to the hotel room. And, and I'm out for it felt like three days, just good sleep and sleeping in a good bed and having somebody that actually takes care of you. So, yeah, it was a, a rough one at the hospital for sure. So you get out of there. They said, you know, they, they were going to send somebody over daily to check on you. But then, you know, our good friend, you know, Doug Jackson gives me a ring and Doug's like, yeah. what's James's deal? We got, you got to get him bailed out of there. I'm like, yeah, yeah, but you know, we, th- we're still of the fruition thinking, you know, we're going to get you on a, like on a commercial flight home and, right. uh, and, and Doug talks to me and goes, dude, they're not going <laughs> to let him fly commercial. Like, like no way he's not had back surgery. His back is still broken in five spots. They're not going to, from a risk standpoint, liability standpoint, right. they're not going <laughs> to let this guy on a plane. And I'm like, huh? Interesting. Yeah. I hadn't pondered this. So he makes some calls. Talks to Andrew McLaughlin, Andrew McLaughlin talks to Steve Adams, Steve yep. Adams and Steve Adams has a, has a plane and we talk about, you know, pa- you know, passing the hat, chipping in or whatever. There's this, uh, the off-road community itself just throws in huge on a, you know, some GoFundMe to, to help you guys out with knowing full well that, you know, you're self-employed, you're right. there's not, there's not like a, a backstop here. There's not, you know, <laughs> and right. You know, we're, we're not sitting on, you know, millions, you know, and, uh, uh <laughs> and, and so, so we, you know, talking about passing the hat to get you on the, get on, you on this plane. And, uh, one of the hurdles was, was fuel, you know, that's a, yeah. that's a big fuel bill. And yeah. Dave Cole, Dave Cole said, get that MO for home. Right. That was it. Get, get him home. And, uh, yeah. so between Steve Adams and his plane, and I think Andrew McLaughlin came and met y'all as well and flew with you guys. Yeah. He helped drag me into the airplane and like him and then, uh, Derek Baker. So, uh, this is Derek and then, uh, Chad that helps on Bailey's car, I believe. And, uh, one other guy that helps on Bailey's car was there. They met us at the airport and, uh, show up and basically they take the rental car back for us after we leave, but they help get me and all my junk into this airplane. And, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's toilets, it's wheelchairs, it's walkers. It's, it's an old folks home going to Alabama basically. And, uh, my wife is just like, okay, like this is how we're doing it. And it's like, yeah. And like, I guess the the backside of that is like, my wife doesn't know everybody in the off-road world. So she doesn't 
know who who is who you know what i mean so this whole thing like just blew her mind she when i when i first talked to her after you and her set up everything she said yeah i got this guy named trip that's trying to get me to do this and that and then i'm like no no that's wyatt and she's like no this guy's name is trip and i'm like no babe that's triple nickels that's uh five 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 it's his race number and she's like no i swear his name's trip <laughs> but you guys got all that hooked up and we, then got we get to out. the airport and uh so we'll th- we're gonna talk about your wife here in a, in a moment <laughs> as we talk about you know growing up and all that but um april and i you know talk and she basically confides in the I don't, why I don't know what to do. I'm, everyone is trying to help me and I keep saying no. And now I realize that it, it sounds like I'm uh, being disingenuous. Like I'm not grateful for help. How, how do, what do I do? And I just said, accept the help people right now, especially in our community in the off-road community and, and racers in general, it was you on the Saturday morning of KOH 2021, it could have very easily been someone else. And to be, to be honest, we just had, you know, another racer got, you know, very, very, very injured, you know, two weeks ago with, uh, with Wes Keen and his accident yep. where he ends up, you know, uh, with, all, with burns over 60 plus percent of his body. Um, and right. that's, it could be any of us at any time. We, we For know, sure. we know when we, and you know, this and our, sometimes our wives know it and sometimes they don't, but, We've come, we've come to terms with the reality of the risks of putting the helmet on. Right. And for most everyone listening to this show, you know, it's worth the reach. Right. Right. The juice is worth the squeeze. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. So we talked, you know, your wife and I, you know, we, we talked, we exchanged notes and, and then, uh, we just kind of started funneling everyone who wanted to aid into helping her and getting her comfortable, getting her to California, getting just get it to the point where she can focus on taking care of you and thinking about you and how to get, how to get my husband out of prison. I mean, at hospital, uh, how to get, (laughs) how to get you to a, to a hotel that has, uh, you know, a handicapped capable bathroom, how to get you comfortable, how to get you rested to where you can start making decisions and you know, advocating for yourself, right? You're your own best advocate, right? What's, what's wrong with you? What's hurting, what's not hurting, what you can and can't do. Right. And then just, just hand off, you know, in times of like that. So, you know, Doug Jackson reaching out, Dave being like, Hey, we're cut. Yeah. Get, get him home. Uh, Steve Adams, God, Steve with, with the plane, Andrew McLaughlin. I mean, those guys. So you get, you get hauled back home. You're in Alabama. How's that been? How you doing? How you doing today? Today I'm doing pretty good. I got uh got all the hardware taken out that was external hardware, uh stitches and staples and stuff like that. My knee is healing up fine, my shoulders moving right along, my back is still there. My L1's taking a little longer than the other ones to heal, but um everything is healing on my back without surgery. Which is kind of funny because California was pushing to put a rod in my L1, 2, and 3. And I get home and the doctor's like, man, I just don't know what that would have done for you. That wouldn't have fixed your problem. So taking a little bit of time at home, you know, and not doing too much, just laying in bed, letting it do its own deal is what I've been doing. So just trying to stay busy doing a bunch of light duty stuff, whether it's tuning cars or 
coming to the shop and just kind of sitting here. It's kind of a, I guess it's your body tells you when you're doing too much. So like the doctor saying it's going to be four weeks or four months or whatever it is to heal. It's, it's at the end of the day, it's up to you what you can and can't work through. And if you can't do it, then don't do it. It's kind of my mentality on it. We're not even at 60 days. Think about yeah. That. And, um, it, my wife hates it. You know what I mean? Cause I'm a busybody. I have bad ADD on a lot of levels and I can't sit still. So sitting in bed for the first two or three weeks was insane. I was losing my mind. I watched every episode of like duck dynasty and shipping wars and all these stupid reality shows just to do something. And, uh, it, I ended up getting her to take me to the shop one day and uh, <laughs> I told her, I said, Hey, why don't you just go ahead home? I'll take my truck home. Cause I got to be back down here tomorrow. And uh, I weaseled my way into my truck, you know, busted the hell and back. And I shouldn't have been driving cause I was still in a back brace and straight leg brace. And I'm like, I'll be fine. You know, it's back country roads. I I'll be fine. I'm going to figure this out. Yep. And then after that, bro, I've been doing it every day. So just taking it slow. I mean, first little bit with the wheelchair, man, it sucked. You just, you, you have no stamina. Like you couldn't stand up. You couldn't like getting to the end of the bed was a job. So getting all that stuff passed and in the past now it's, it's working its way out, but now I'm not in a back brace. I'm just still have a leg brace on, but nothing that's straight leg anymore i've got 30 degrees but uh, i keep doing some stretching and stuff like that at home to get my full range of motion back but and what's the degree of motion that they want you to have back in that 45 right now yeah yeah you're at 30 now but what yeah currently i'm only allowed 30 but i'm at like 125 right now but i'm not telling my doctor that just because (laughs) he subscribes he he listens he'll hear this on monday (laughs) I mean, he seems like a pretty cool guy and he's, he's, he's on my side a little bit. I'm working on a buddy of his, his car at my shop. And, uh, just a long story short, I got a phone call into the guy at my shop to tell him, Hey man, I've been busted up. This is the deal. I'm out for a little while. So it's going to be a little bit on your car. And he said, well, I need to know who you're seeing and where you're going. I've got people that do that. He's a trauma surgeon. So he's in the connection loop of who's the back guy and who's the leg guy type of thing. So he gives me this guy's phone number and he said, I'll call him and tell him you're going to call him and uh, we'll set something up. So he calls me back like 20 minutes later and says, Hey, your appointment's Tuesday at this time. You need to be there. Like, okay. And then bring them all your CDs and all your uh, images from California. So I go in there and it was like 1145 in the morning. I think April and I left at like 630 that night. And that dude went from the top end to the bottom end and went through every single thing of what we're doing and what we're not doing and all that kind of good stuff. And then I went back to him last Tuesday just for an update. Got a different leg brace a month ago that's got degrees in it now and uh, been at 30 degrees for a little over a month. But I got uh, two injections in my back for just a kind of a pain deal, not a not a fix more or less. It's just some kind of way to let my muscles relax a little bit, help the healing a little bit like a steroid injection. And then, uh, some more x-rays on my back and my leg and everything seems to be healing like it's supposed to. And that's wonderful. 
right? Yeah, it's pretty wild. Your body is pretty wild, man, pretty if you real, actually think about it. <laughs> pretty robust. You went and get, got your ass kicked. So you've got, I mean, literally you've got, you know, you as a person, you're like, I got a motor guy. I'm a motor guy. You got a, you know, an axle guy. You, you got a trainee guy. And now you got, right. now you got a, another trainee guy. <laughs> the surgery. Tra- no, you got a guy exactly. that can handle, all, all, you know, just, yeah. I mean, that's kind of what you write the specialist. And that's what we do right. for, when it comes to cars, race cars, or even, you know, your drag cars. Yep. So right now today, the road to recovery, you're pretty far along, right? Yeah, right now I'm up walking around, no cane, no back brace, just using a leg brace. Uh, I can't lift and twist anything at the same time. So like I pick something up, I can't turn at the same time uh, just for a little bit longer, it seems like, just to kind of help everything heal. But uh, no surgery is on the horizon as long as the L1 kind of comes around. I go back in four weeks for an update, but everything so far is good. So my knee swells up like a grapefruit every afternoon but uh that's completely normal the doc says it'll probably take eight months or nine months for that to kind of go away but uh everything on it's doing pretty good well that's wonderful so i'm gonna ask you now the next hard question because this is the cringe the cringe one now that you know reality setting in so you know insurance bills started to roll in, you know hospital bills started rolling in and oh, insurance yeah. Oh yeah. It's what, every two, three days, man. <laughs> what does, what's that Palm desert number look like? Like a half a mil? So it's right there at it. So the first, oh, no shit. <laughs> the first bill was, I want to say it was 419 or 490 something. I'll have to check, but it was like 419 or 490. And then now I've got all this out of uh network because they didn't take the blue cross that I have. And so now I've got like this doctor's assistant's going to send a bill and then the anesthesiologist is going to send their bill. And it's, it's every couple of days we get more. So the ambulance ride for anybody that wants to know was 3,800 bucks from the lake bed to the desert. That seems reasonable. That's a lot cheaper than I was anticipating, but, uh, it was worth it in the long run. But uh, yeah, I, I would say I'm, I'm closer to, at the end of the day on all this, it'll probably be six, 700,000 bucks. Probably. Yeah. You could have a four wheel drive trophy truck. <laughs> yeah. For one race. Don't ride with Tom Ways. No, I'm joking. Yeah. Uh, 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 wow. No. Cause that's always, I mean, certainly that's something that is always in the back of our heads. It's in the back of my head, like what that looks like. Right. And then, um, and you don't have a, you know, a number to, to swag at it, but wow, you just gave us a data point that absolutely scares, scares me. But I mean, that's what insurance is for, right? Yeah. I mean, and there's a lot of other things that go on with that. Like you have your personal healthcare insurance, and then you also have the USAC stuff, which you're just about an idiot if you don't race somewhere that has legit insurance. And having done it in the past, I look back and kind of very glad nothing ever happened like this in the past, but the USAC stuff is pretty legit. Like the way they handle everything. Uh, once Ultra Four sent in the initial start of the claim, like basically saying that yes, this happened on our race course, and this is the guy, and this is where he did sign up for all the insurance and blah blah blah. Well, now that secondary insurance covers just about every single thing that's left over from your personal insurance. Um, besides your out of normal out of pockets and stuff like that, but it in, it'll end up probably being like 
everything but like 15% of every bit of it and is what you stackle cover. 15% of a big number is still a big number, but that is really wonderful to hear because I, I don't know anyone yeah. that's ever had to, you know, exercise the right. nuclear option, right? Exercise right. the USAC. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, like when we first got home, I mean, they were calling, like our healthcare was calling a couple times a week, just checking in. And then the USAC lady, I think her name's Nicole. She was right on top of it. Like, Hey, we're sending this over, fill it out, send it back ASAP so we can get everything rolling. And man, it clicks right along now. So. Yeah. I remember I couldn't find anything on USAC's website for the insurance. And then, so man, Alan Johnson was awesome. He he's texting me right. contact info. I'm sharing the contact info for with April. I mean, April, April got it on. Well, I don't want to dig too much further into, into that, that line of question thinking, you know, we've talked <laughs> about, uh, what, uh, you know, how your life pivoted and changed right. uh, uh, on a Saturday in February in uh, the desert, but you'll be back at it. Right. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. It is, for sure, zero for sure. thought there. So let's, yeah. let, let's, let's dive into James, who James Schofield is, you know, everyone know has heard your name, but now who you are and how long you know, you've been in motorsports. I've known you since that 08, 09, 10 time frame. same with ways, right. same with a lot of folks. And a lot of folks know you from, uh, the, your blue torch fab days. If anyone don't, yep. doesn't remember that world, Dothan fab works, uh, sorry, Dothan, Alabama. Um, and, and yep. which brings me to you're an Alabama guy, right? Yep. You live there now you're from, yep. uh, you follow Alabama. Now you live, you live outside Birmingham though, right? Right. Yeah. I live South of Birmingham about, I don't know, 15 miles or something like that. But, uh, I was born and raised in, uh, Gambrels, Maryland. My parents divorced when I was in fourth or fifth grade, fourth grade. And, uh, my mom moved to Alabama and little small town called Eufaula and went to school there and graduated high school and then went to work in Dothan, Alabama, working on uh, big trucks and uh, you're getting way too far ahead for me. Uh, <laughs> don't jump that fast. James. Let, let's uh, walk this back a little bit. So, uh, as a, as a kid growing up from what I gather, your family was a family of racers. Anyway, you guys were drag racers. Your yeah. this is your, your stepfather. No, my dad, your, your dad, your dad, yep. Yep. drag racers. So you were spending every weekend, every other weekend that it wasn't raining out of drag strip somewhere. And, yep. and, and you clearly gravitated towards it. Did you feel like you had a choice or was it a choice that you were like, absolutely. I'm all in on this racing thing. Well, like the, the drag racing side of it as a kid, there was no, like looking back at it nowadays, I don't know how anybody could do that, but my parents would go to the track and it would be me and my two sisters, my two older sisters. And, uh, they would basically run their race program. And then my dad would make it clear that if your mother lost, we were leaving and you needed to be at the truck when we got back type of thing. So you could run around with all the other kids that are at the track all day. But if your mom loses, you got to be back here. So we're leaving. And, uh, man, it was every Saturday. And then if it was in the winter, like they would build engines or whatnot. And, uh, it was the same program every weekend to where if it was snowing outside my dad would take us or take me to his buddy's shop that has a machine shop that did all his race engines and i i bet i threw away that at his shop i probably threw i don't know a couple thousand dollars worth of sockets into his vat 
as a kid, just being a little crap and a little shithead kid and just throwing nuts and bolts that went to this engine project into this big hot tank over here that, you know, just being a kid. But as a kid, that's all we did. There was no soccer or football or baseball. My parents raced and that was what it was like the, the, the local gathering in the neighborhood. It was a whole different situation at my house. Like my dad ran a tight ship and still does to this day. I mean, even my kids get to go up to see him, but like racing is what he does. Like everything he's ever done is raced, whether it's a stock car, rental car or a full blown drag car. Like he would do it and take your money at the same time and then educate you on why he just beat you. (laughs) So, so when did you meet your wife? Like not that many years ago, right? 12, uh, 13 years ago, 14 years ago. And it was uh 2009. So we were building the 12 years uh, ago. Car that blue, to- uh, blue torch built for uh, Nicole. All right. I'm going, I'm, I'll get off on a tangent on that one right now. So you guys show <laughs> up, that was an inch and a half, cha- inch and a half tube chassis. Yeah. Inch and a half chromoly chassis. That was on revision about four by the time it made it to the lake bed. That final revision was, was what happened? You guys were testing, tuning, who was driving? No, so yeah. So back up to this, <laughs> revision, revision, I would say that was probably four, man. I'm looking at a picture of it right now, but like the, uh, like the shock towers weren't going to work with the way it was made. I mean, there's a bunch of stuff that was like a big learning curve that didn't make sense at the time. But now you look back and you're like, man, there's no way that should work. And we should have known better. And obviously this sport has evolved, but yeah. So we get to, we get to the hammers and you're working for Dan Du Bois. Yeah. So Dan is, it was his name on the place. Everybody else did some work on it, but the, uh, we get there and was Bender on that car or had Bender moved back to California by then. Oh, so there was uh man, there was so many people that came to help work on that car, but no Bender wasn't there. This was a, this is a Birmingham, car Birmingham blue torch car and uh so we moved to Birmingham in 07 but uh at the end of that project we went to the hammers Jason was owner of blue torch at the time or majority owner whatever you want to call it and uh Dan was working his way out of blue torch so we go to the hammers and make a run with Frank uh Nicole's husband Frank I was driving Frank was riding and everything was going good but this thing had like too much steering speed, input speed for a double ended Ram, you know, so like trophy truck pump, you know, zing and the piss out of it and double ended Ram, like it's twitchy. Not meant to go this fast. You know what I mean? And we just were hitting this one section and guy on the outside tuning the shocks was tuning it one way. And I would tell him what we feel on the inside and he'd go some other way and Basically, the back end, it just packed up and passed the front end about five days before the race or something like that. And so we load it up and uh, drag it to the fab school. We cut the roof off behind the B pillar. It broke the tube out of the B pillar. So we load up, take the fab school. Troy's like, oh, no problem. We'll cut that out, fix it type of thing. Project for the students and all that kind of stuff. And we get it all fixed and we'd load it up and take it back to the hammers and people thought we had a spare car because you couldn't really tell that it was fixed. And no, it was the same car, you know, just had the big rolled roof on it. And 
when we got home, the problem was like the steering just wasn't going to work. So once you drive a car with like a gearbox or a steering rack on it, you don't really want to go back to hydro, full hydro, you know? And, uh, so riding in Troy's pre-runner, stuff like that, you could kind of feel that road feel that you get. And we got home and then we cut the car apart, put a bigger motor in it because that's what you need. And, uh, took the five to one transfer case out, put a, I want to say it was a two O or three O in it and then put some gear in it and put a gearbox underneath the seat. So Troy Johnson came up with that whole class eight truck style swing set steering that we had on it. And, uh, it drove like a million bucks, but it would pick on a, uh, steering box pretty regularly, but like the sector shaft in it, it would twist it. It wouldn't ring it off. It would just start twisting it. But once we got it dialed in, it was good to go. And then we raced Vegas Torino with it. And we loaded up the first year that Vegas Torino was a class with 4,400 cars in it. And, you know, we put a big cell at the time in the back. I want to say it was like 40 gallons or something, which now that's like a front tank on somebody's car. But, you know, you put the biggest tank you could get at the time and 37s and go for it. And we made it to, that was a three day race. So it was like three days of 300 miles or something. And the second day we had a, our first day, Jason was driving and it, it exploded the transfer case. So this is like the early days of advanced adapters, transfer cases. Oh, it, it of, cracked in half. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah, and it was like the Edelbrock casing or something like that. It was just explode. You'd have a front output and then a rear output that was still connected to the training and well they were fighting each other as you were going over the top of whoops they were just shock load yeah. shock load and it was chinese water torture yeah yep yeah. and then uh so we changed transmissions a few times on that and um we had a 700 r4 transmission in it you know we're full-blown thinking you got to have gear so this guy mogi i don't know if you ever heard of him he's like the transmission guy in southern california for that style Chrysler training and or not Chrysler, but the 700 R4, but he was a big Chrysler guy evidently. And he was like, this shit will never live. You guys are wasting your time. And sure enough, we went through like five transmissions that weekend and learning experience for sure. And then, uh, we retired that car and then sold it off. Now did, is that the car that Peter Basler rock bounced yeah, with raced. for a while? Yeah. You know, that car straight out of, Desert King of the Hammers trim was, uh, you know, Rob Mack drove that car. So riding with him was a pretty wild experience, learning how to learn how he navigated stuff and setting up the car and shocks and things like that. It worked out really good with him and uh, Larry McRae rode in it with uh, Rob Mack driving it. But uh, doing some practicing with Rob Mack, it was pretty mind blowing. But you learn how, I guess you, you kind of learn how the car works and doesn't work. And then we, kind of left the, sus the suspension alone. You know, it had trailing arms and bypasses on it. So Peter buys it and takes it out to go uh, rock bouncing. And it's like 50 years advanced for everything else that's out there with expanded metal firewalls and stuff like that. So he puts a whooping on them for, I think, two years in a row. And then technology catches up. You know, that's a car that was retired about. And they'd never seen bypasses no, and coilovers. It was air shocks right. and diamond yeah. plate and over <laughs> Dan, exactly Dan dibble and cut boggers and hook dirt. Yeah. yeah. yeah that, that car had wheel speed that they didn't have. And then they quickly figured out that that's what you got to have on in the East coast mud. So it worked out. Yeah. So. I, 
My story about that car is it, so it was it was 2009 King of the Hammers. We showed we got to. I I want to say it's aftershock. I want to say it's the waterfall and aftershock. It was like the first rock trail in Nicole Nicole Johnson who went on to you know drive drive and race monster trucks. She was the the driver of the Scooby Doo for I don't know yep. six seven years eight years. It was a long time she was driving Scooby Doo. Right. So she's broke on that waterfall and aftershock, and there's really no way around her. And so I'm looking at her. She's out of the car, and it's like this. Hey, you know is this cool? And she's kind of <laughs> like, gives me this look in the hands up. Like, I don't I know, do like <laughs> do whatever. And I had, a, I, I, I drove across the, the, the hood of that car. And, and I was like, wow. Um, cause we'd seen that car being built on pirate for months yeah. and you know, we're like, Oh my God, this thing is that gorgeous. And it was a gorgeous car and, uh, you right. know, to lay 39 inch stickies across the hood, yeah. kind of saddening, but yeah, uh, amazing car. So, but but let's let, 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 I, I digress because I made you uh, I made you take take that sidestep. So, uh, growing up, you know, you, you asked you about you know meeting April. You guys uh, you guys met in '09, so you've been together about twelve years. You've yep. got two kids, yep. a boy and a girl. You got the yep. the rich man's family. I think yep. your boy is about the age of my daughter. I think they're both ten. Yep, he's ten. All right, my little girl is six. And then Nate, Nate dog. Yep. Nate dog and Lexi. I can remember Lexi, but, uh, you actually call her Lexington is her full name. And I initially wasn't sure that that was a girl. Yeah. Yeah. So, so tell me about them. What are their interests today? You know, they, they enjoy anything to do outdoors for the most part from fishing to hunting, to just hanging out, coming to the shop, getting to help out, build engines here at the shop or work on cars type of thing, or, uh, just, hiding my tools and having fun being kids, you know, running around the parking lot type of thing. So you, but so you've been indoctrinating at least Nate at this point in, into the, the motorsports world and you've had him, sure. you've had him helping him tune some motors. Yeah. So he's, he's tuned a handful of ultra four guys cars that they don't know that he was doing the tune on. So he gets it, you know, I guess it's any kid nowadays is really hooked to uh, electronics. So, if you could give a kid something that they can learn and at the same time learn and become something at a very young age, it would just make it easier down the line. So hopefully he can take some tuning information from helping me tune cars over a couple of years and use it down the line and pay off in the long run. Cause I'm pretty sure everybody that tunes cars wishes they started a long time ago instead of, just here recently or just a couple of years ago, you know, if you could get it at 10 years old, you'd be doing it. Yeah. I think, uh, I, well, my mother always told me this. She said, you know, fi- get a skill, have a skill set that yep. at a minimum you can fall back on. You can go try and experiment with other stuff, but make right. sure you have something to always fall back on. And for me, that was welding. I learned to weld and I'm pr- somehow pretty good at it. I don't weld every day. Every night na- I, I might weld right. once a month now and it's right. strictly hobby like strictly right. for fun, strictly, uh, an arts and crafts project, but, um, <laughs> it didn't start out that way in the beginning. I can't, you know, tell you how much beer I earned by <laughs> being able to weld right, or just not having to pay somebody to put roll cages into race cars for us. Exactly. Or as you know, you go out and you tear, you, you tear stuff up, you yep. got to fix it. <laughs> and so yep. it's nice yeah. when you know how to fix your own, you fix your own junk, you know? 
So, yep. so, so, bef- you know, you mm-hmm. and meet in April in 12, you guys, you know, in 2009, I'm sorry, uh, you guys, two kids today, but you were, yep. you know, clearly you, you we, we skipped a gap, uh, between you kind of growing up in the 2009 world. And I think at some point you ended up racing and doing some stuff around, uh, the Alabama area, but then somehow it, and this is how you introduced me to these folks, uh, in NHRA, Jay and Shelly Payne. They were running a top fuel funny car at the time. Top alcohol, funny top car. alcohol. And then they had a pro mod, a pro mod. But so we went and saw them in Vegas at one yep. point. And then I went and, you know, visited them, I think with you and without like, I shouldn't say with you, you were there working in Houston when, uh, you know, we would have NHRA O'Reilly spring nationals here in Houston. Yeah. It's a, you know, it's a near sea level track. So it's usually you get really good. Right really yeah. good fast times and it's in the spring. So you get that, you know, that cool, very humid. Yeah. Air. Not stagnant. <laughs> yeah. And so, so, uh, you get some, some fast times. And I've been there when you were been around Jan Shelley Payne when you were, uh, working with them. And when you weren't working with them, we go over there, me and my buddies, that was our thing. We would go on Friday for uh, qualifying and yeah. walk around carrying around, you know, the, the Foster's oil cans that they sell, you know, the, it was like 36 ounces of beer oh, boys. <laughs> Yeah, and go see, uh, you know, the fire nice, you know, Jay Payne crew and hang out yeah. with them and they're amazing folks. But so, but they're, they race out of SoCal. How did yep. you get from Alabama to there? And how did you go from being this kid running around races on Saturdays with your dad? And if your mom didn't, uh, when you guys loaded up to running around on the NHRA circuit at the very top upper echelon of NHRA what was the, what was the steps that got you from there to there? That seems like so, crazy. So out of high school, we, you know, blue torch was a thing, but it wasn't a full-time gig. Everybody had real jobs and blue torch was an after hours type thing. And then blue torch became a full-time gig, did it for a few years, but it had its issues. You know what I mean? Just like any growing business and things weren't going right. And I decided to make a change and that change was. And you're young, you're making decisions and want to experiment and, and, and see, spread your wings and fly, so to speak. Right. So in the meantime, like I was racing with a guy out of Montgomery, Alabama. So North of Dothan a little bit, but, uh, he did a bunch of match racing stuff and his style was to just get to qualify and then get the qualifying money at big races. You know, it paid you a couple thousand bucks, but a few of those doesn't make it fun. You know what I mean? Like it's fun to go in and say you're a part of this, but you're really not, you're just paying an entry fee for the guy that wins it to have a purse. And I didn't like it. The guy ran kind of a hack job type program and you got beat every weekend that you went somewhere by somebody that had nicer stuff or was a put together crew and stuff like that. Sounds like ultra four sometimes. Yep. 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 <laughs> and we raced, uh, Jay and them. they raced division two, which is Southeast, uh, United States. And they would just beat the brakes off of everybody. Like if they showed up, it was over with, you could just hand them the trophy, like racing on paper. You're not supposed to do, but he could mess up and still beat you made big, big power and could manage it and get down any, basically any greasy track in the South. And I ended up leaving the guy I was working with just wasn't working out drag racing wise and went to Las Vegas for their fall nationals and um, 
because they race there twice a year. And I go over to Jay's pit and I introduce myself and he's like, yeah, I know who you are. I've seen you in division two type of thing. And we kind of hit it off. And he's like, I said, well, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for a job just throwing it out there. And he's like, well, I'm looking for a guy. So we got to fit. And now I wanted to go, my ambitions was to go top fuel racing, but to get an opportunity to go top fuel racing would be great. And I turned down a bunch of jobs over the years to go top fuel racing because it's not, you're not going to learn anything. So your, your strictly job is going to be to pull this head off or pull this clutch out or, you know, pull the oil pan off. You're not doing anything. You're not thinking big picture. You're just doing one job all day, every day. I, I decided to stay with Jay because you would work with Brad Anderson, which is his father-in-law that manufactures engines and engine blocks and cylinder heads and all this kind of stuff and is very cutting edge. And his daughter is Shelly Anderson. The, right, right. the yeah. famous female drag racer. Right. And then she and Jay get married. Yep. You have very high success rate just based on the players in the game right there. So like her father is just a badass in general. So uh, when you put him in the, in the league of top fuel racing or alcohol racing or pro mod racing, that's the guy. So why would you go work in a top fuel car where everybody calls this guy for input when you could just go work for this guy? And that's what I opted to do in 07. So I left Blue Torch in 06, 07 and did a uh, full-blown alcohol racing with a funny car for, I want to say we did 24 or 25 races a year for all the way up until last year for the most part. And, uh, off and on throughout the years, you know, if something came up on my end, I couldn't make it. They would find somebody to fill my spot. And then I always had that want to get back to racing. And uh, when things changed on my end, I was able to do it again. So I've been doing it. The first time, you know, you introduced me to that crew, it was in Vegas. And I don't, I guess it would have been in the spring. And right. Shelly, you introduced me, Shelly, you know, Shelly Payne, Shelly Anderson, and right. I actually knew the name. I didn't know Jay, but I, I, I knew the name and you know, she's a, uh, oh gosh, I don't know, you know, how many years older than me. She'd be maybe 10, not, not that old, much older, but right. uh good looking blonde. And she walks out and she grabs this tray and she slaps it over the top of the motor and she just strips this motor Oh, yeah. While we're standing there, you're introducing yep. us and we're talking and she, I, I take that back. She didn't strip. She, uh, she pressure checked. Uh, she did a, a, a leak cylinder down leak. test, cylinder leak down test on yeah. all eight cylinders while yep. we we're talking. And yep. then, and then she tore the thing down and yeah. all while she's still just having a conversation with you, this woman tore this thing she's down, badass. just, just in yeah. nonchalantly did it like. Well, cause she's done it 10,000 times, oh, but, <laughs> but, but yeah, more, well, I think I'd heard the, the statement said to be, to master some skill, you need to do it 10,000 times. And so right. she, to be a master at something clearly, I mean, she tore this thing down and before you knew it, the thing was back together. Yep. yep. Like it was, it wasn't like, you know, when you think about, you know, tearing down a motor and putting a motor back together, like hours and hours. Oh no, this was. <laughs> yeah if, i if it took her 30 minutes i would have been shocked and i was so, so the biggest thing you got in in drag racing is time is your enemy so and heat is your enemy so like if you make a run and at the other end of the track you have 
from the end of your class, like 65 minutes or something like that to get back into the staging lanes to run your next round. So it doesn't matter if you've just got to change the oil or if you got to build the motor transmission and replace the gear set and they're in like you got the same amount of time. So you kind of got every tool tray is job specific. So engine wise for the top end, it's in this tray. If it's bottom end, it's in this tray to take the clutch out. It's in this tray. Uh, this is where you stand when you do this job. This is where I stand when I do this job. And if you're in my way, you're in the wrong spot. And that's, it's, it's as gay as it is, it's a big ballet because even if you watch the fuel guys, everybody has their place that they've got to be in for everybody to work. So that big sewing machine's got to keep running no matter what you're doing. So I, I love this line of, this line of conversation where it is a logistical, uh, 100%. human capital management and, yep. and then clock and time management yep dude i mean i I remember it when i first started working with them they're like all right you're gonna do bottom end so that's that consists of rolling rod bearings in it checking rod bearings every single run so you get back from a run you drain the oil you drain the dry sump tank you pull the pan off you you snatch all the rod bearings loose uh, rod caps loose pull the uh, bearings out you measure them see if you're beating them up or if you're not you turn that into jay he'd make a tune call and then you roll new bearings in and then if it shook you would check a rear main which usually back then got beat up pretty bad because of the clutch weight hanging off the back of the motor but uh you would roll a set of bearings in it or if uh, it went out and it burned a piston like we've been known to do in the past we'd burn pistons just trying to make them leaner because lean is power you would burn a piston well you would you would have to pull right side head off because shelly doesn't like working around the mag so the magneto side distributor that's the critical side of the transaction basically so if you hit that with the cylinder head coming off it's it's bad you don't risk it you just replace it and then you would pull a cylinder head off and then you would dive underneath and you'd push the rods and pistons out that are messed up and then snatch a sleeve out so like all these ls motors that we have now are all sleeved but they're the same concept aluminum block with a steel sleeve in it you'd snatch the sleeve out you'd pound a new one in and put it all back together but your homework was caught up during the week by gapping piston rings or getting new sleeves honed that would be drop-in ready so they're in the freezer in the trailer so the engine's still you know 200 degrees, 250 degrees, you can snatch a sleeve out and then you can drop in a cold frozen sleeve into the hole and then no problem. Yep. Oil a set of rings up and drop her in. So, and, and whammo and away you go. And that's why I like having this conversation. You know, I don't have a lot of guys on here that, you know, we've talked super technical about little, about, you know, the technical side of stuff. Cause some people, it goes over their head and goes, you know, past them. But on the flip side, it talks to the expertise of guys right. like yourself that are required to put these cars together to, to, to turn an ultra, you know, like an ultra four that can turn 800, 850, 900 horse and beat on it through a wild course like Moab and not lose a motor, not lose a training, not right. lose it, not lose an axle. I mean, all of right. those finite, you know, we talk about, you know, clearances and tolerances. It's all in the detail. And if the detail is yep. just a little bit off, yep. shit cracks, breaks, burns, yep. destroys your day. Game over. You're done. Yep. So like in, in the drag racing world, man, you, you work on it every time you start it, period. Whether it's adjusting the valves, changing setups, changing the timing curve, changing, changing a fuel jet. Every time you start it, the weather changed from the last time you started it. So you, every time you go out, you want, you know, if it, if it makes 
5,000 horsepower, it needs to make 5,000 horsepower every time you start it, not 4,500 because the weather changed or 3,000 because you're lazy. Like it's, it's 5,000 every time you start it. You said 5,000 horsepower. It just, it, it, it is boggling, but you know, I've, I've seen like the jugs of like the, the test, the test bench where they test like oh, the, the, the field delivery yeah. and it's like a gallon per cylinder per <laughs> per second yeah. or something. I mean, it's, 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 um, you hit it with a fire hose of fuel. Yeah. And hope the spark plugs stay lit. <laughs> yeah, right? You don't yeah. douse them and drown them. Exactly. In ultra four, the, the current. So Shelly, you someone currently in ultra four remind it's, it's, uh, it's Bailey Campbell reminds me of Shelly when, you know, Shelly's pit posture, like her stature in the pit, when things are, when they're, when they're working on the vehicle on the drag car, you see that in the Campbell pits with Bailey kind of orchestrating the guys all are the ones working and she is just orchestrating and making sure things happen. And so it's kind of cool to see two different genres, two women that do not know each other, but that they have found what works and they know it works and they've each arrived there on different trains. Right but they're accomplishing yeah. the same goal. And, and that's kind of, that's kind of in my mind, that's, you know, cool to step back. And well, I think and a lot see. of that is based on like how Shannon and Nick and Shannon's dad run that whole program was they did it all themselves. So if you want to do it, you've got to do it. That's right. <laughs> so that that's, that's exactly how Brad was. And, you know, Brad is a hardcore guy that Shelly's dad, but at the same time, he, ingrain that into them that, Hey, this is what we've got to do. If you want to keep doing it, you're going to do it yourself. So did he end up in the NHR hall of fame? I think so. I think so too. If he's not, I don't, if he's not, I don't know why he's not the dude's just a legend all the way around. I mean, so. that, and that's a big deal. And then kind of your, I remember you telling me, or maybe you didn't tell me, man, I might've saw it on Facebook, but I was so excited for you guys. You guys won uh, Indianapolis and that's kind of the, that's yeah. kind of the Super Bowl. Yeah, Jay won it. I think he won it twice in the funny car, once in a pro mod, which in the grand scheme of things, that's the biggest race of the year, even though it's in the middle of the year. But winning it is pretty awesome because it's such a big, prestigious race. Like everybody hears of drag racing, it's either Pomona or Indy. And uh, having won Pomona a billion times, it's not as cool as Indy. Indy always kind of eluded us on either you're beating yourself or you're overpowering the conditions or the track kind of situation. But yeah, we ended up winning it. I think it was 2019, 2019. We won it. So we won the, uh, 65th Indy Indianapolis. That's a pretty solid, uh, pretty solid win there. What other things kind of, I I'd say likenesses between you four in the drag racing world, it's gotta be traction, right? Like everything, traction is everything in a drag car. Traction is everything in an off-road car. What are the the similarities and crossovers that you can pinpoint that match the hurdles? Is it axle size, axles? You know, what are the things that come to mind when I say traction in one versus traction in the other? Application, you know, it's what are you doing with it and how are you trying to use it? So if you're building an ultra four car like for king of the hammers and then you're also trying to run it at reno short course race it's a totally different setup so it's an ever-changing situation and there's guys that run the same setup at both tracks but 
nowadays you see guys swapping out atlases for SCSs to try to get a, a gearing advantage, you know, make a little bit longer run out on a gear change or something like that, but, or going down to a tire, smaller tire to get more engine RPMs to create more power in a way, you know, so you're not lugging such a heavy tire, but there's, there's a million different things that cross between the two and it's an all an application thing. So if today the weather is this and you can make X amount of power and you can change your setup to gain 400 RPMs or 500 RPMs, based on gearing or tire rollout or diameter, you would change it just to get some kind of performance advantage, you know? Off the racing beaten path for a moment. What do you do for a living, man? you got your own business, right? <laughs> yep. I do. do it. Do it yourself. Fab. Yep. DIY fab is what it is. So basically I make, uh, you know, as the, at the end of blue torch, you know, blue torch is fizzled out or whatever its situation is now. Um, that's all I've done. So selling brackets and tabs and diff covers and, you know, doing that side of things is what I've been doing for a couple of years now on my own. And, and then you had, you also had, was it 40 spline? Yep. I had it too. And then, uh, that was back when I was at blue torch and Peter was a partner in on it, which he, he still has it. I, I got out of it. Okay. That's still going business. I figured that business was a pretty lucrative business. It just, it, at the time, it made a whole lot of sense. You know, Peter's rocking it, but my side of business is, man, I, I kind of do the mail order parts thing. I'd rather sell a million diff covers and not worry about it, not have to deal with the stress of a million employees. I'll keep the two that I have and everything kind of keep rolling. And run from there? Yeah. And so t- tell me about the line of products that you've got today. Cause I absolutely love supporting you. Bunch of gussets and brackets and tabs, um, whether it's axle tabs or disc brake brackets or diff covers, I try to keep everything under like 150 bucks just to keep it cheap. And I don't feel that you need to make a billion dollars on one part. I'd rather make a billion dollars over a lot of parts. Keep it simple, man. Don't try to make it something that ain't you know and helping people achieve their achieve their hopes dreams and goals by uh supplying them with affordable parts yeah my goal is to sell you a part that my wife and kids and i can put in a box and ship it to you and you do the work on your end and everything's good you know it's your project not mine (laughs) yeah yeah, right and and that's part of the you know that's part of the business model and and some of that that you learned in your days at blue torch right for sure. What was the coolest thing that you built at Blue Torch? And I know I'm going to dive back to that, Hugh, because Blue Torch was almost like, what's the right word for it? It was almost like a reality TV show set type deal uh, crew without without right. the cameras. You guys had at one point, you know, Rob Bender Park rolled through there. Yep. Dan, you know, built the company up, then sold it to uh, Jason Carner. Yep. Carner and you, you know, ran this thing. You guys, you know, doing some racing. You guys did some UTV yep. racing. Yeah. You built a single seater. I remember, wow, I'm jumping back. I can't believe I didn't even have this in my notes. I remember racing against you or with you slash, uh, at, uh, one ultra four race in Kentucky. And it was, we got to mix it up. I don't remember if it was the heat race or what it was, but it was, we were swapping position. You were in a very nimble, agile single seater. And I was in, you know, 5,300 pounds of desert class four-wheel drive class one on a yeah. on a I, i've been a rear axle on that on on that wow. race i hooked a tree at 
40 or something, but man, that was, mm-hmm. I had a good time mess, messing with you. I, I remember, I think I nerfed you once. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> what on purpose. Yeah, I mean, that little car was fun, man. It was, so I took a lot of the stuff that I learned from what not to do on that big two seat car that we built and the cold drove and all that kind of stuff. But the same basic drivetrain, like the drivetrain evolved to big, you know, 430 inch LS motors to turbo 400s from a 700 R4 and turbo 400 to a 20 Atlas to a 15 Atlas to a 543 gear to a 583 gear or 585, whatever it was. And just created this torque monster of an animal of a car. And then I had this bright idea to put a steering rack and pinion on the front end to have that road feel back. And the guys we had at Blue Torch at the time were all on the same page, like, let's do it. And we made that car and we could change the gearing input, like speed input to the rack or to the servo, which would change the feel based on what we wanted it to do. So if we wanted to zing the crap out of it, we could zing it and it not get dicey you know you could keep the input speed down and all that kind of good stuff which joe thompson's probably losing his mind that i put a steering rack on a front end but uh he's he's fighting some issues right now on uh on caprera brian caprera's new ifs uh oh, really? car he was trying to make it to where the rack it and and my my commentary which is you know totally mental on this is <laughs> he did something that all made sense on paper and but in in actuality it was a it actually ends up failing but joe i love joe in the sense that joe will come out and say this is what we did and it, and it didn't work and it failed and it didn't work right. and so here's what right. i did next and yeah. here and we don't we're, we're about to test i love i'll say this right now like i loves the right word we we shouldn't celebrate failure I, we shouldn't celebrate no. it, but we need to address it and air it and somewhat embrace it. Because if you're not failing, you're, if you're not making mistakes, then you're not trying hard enough and you're not pushing the right. envelope enough and, and you're not learning. And right. I think, and I, I made the post, uh, you know, response to Joe on Facebook about this being, we have, and this is totally a tangent. I'm sorry, James, uh, uh, is that on Facebook and social media today, we live in this world where everything is glossy and shiny and success and pretty. We're always on vacation. We're always, uh, life is grand. Life is perfect. It's wonderful. And you know, it's the optics in everyone's world are just amazing. And they're not, we're all, all of our lives are dirty. We all make mistakes. We're human. We're, we're fallible. We're not infallible. We, it just is what it is. And, and, and we should be making mistakes and we should be learning from them. And, and I don't think we should celebrate failure. That's not what it, at all, right. but, but if you're not, you have to trying, push the envelope, you have to push the envelope. Right. And it's when the envelope pushes back, you're like, okay, right. well that didn't work so well. So exactly what you're talking about. We put a rack down there and yeah. Yeah. it ran great. I mean, I ended up winning a little dirt riot championship deal with it and that was a fun car. It was completely overpowered in a good way. Like it was balanced. It had a whole lot of power and it was fun. <laughs> it, it, it had a kick-ass paint job. It was black with yeah. blue, uh, blue lightning yeah. all over it. Yep. Uh, yeah, I, it I see fun. you reminiscing right now. Your eyes are rolling back in your head. Like, Oh yeah, I had a good time in that car. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm looking at two pictures on it. That thing was, it was a fun car, man. Just, 
kind of situations that played out. You know, they are what they are, but it it was a fun car. Where did it end up? Anthony Yaunt bought it from Peter after Peter acquired it when he got Blue Torch. And then so Anthony's Anthony in Yaunt, Razors now. He's a he's he's racing a single seat Razor, a yeah. single seat UTV. Yeah. Yeah, so that car made some changes, and you know we changed a few things on it, and then Peter started rock bouncing it, I think, and put a double-ended ram on the front just to keep the cost down on what you're tearing up up front, you know. But now Anthony's got it. So Anthony was really claiming on this uh, in February that he was the the single seat UTV champ or something. We're like, no, that's not how it this reminds works. Reminds me of that other guy that yeah. said that one time in the Ultra Four crowd. I can't remember his name. Starts with a C. His last name starts with a C. Yeah, C and C. That's exactly right. And and he, he, the the joke was somewhat lost on uh, on. All right, Jan, you you're we're talking about you. Um, but he wants to. He, you know, I think this next Baja Thousand. He wants to Iron Man the Thousand in the single seat Razor and. I think all of us are like, dude, you'll be blowing bubbles by your kidneys will be hanging out. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I'll, I'll clap for it. I mean, it, it's I'll, a goal. Support, go for it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But you know, the world is made up of people telling you not what you can and can't do. Don't listen to me telling you, you can't do it. You go do it. Pro- Actually, as a matter of fact, prove, prove us all wrong. We want you right, to prove right. us wrong yep. as a matter of fact. So what is next for James Schofield, man? You're going to, you know, healing up. More drag well, racing. I mean, back Jay up retired, weekend, right? So let's uh, we'll back up to last Tuesday. Um, I get a phone call from this guy, random number in my phone, and it's obviously a black guy on the phone. And he's like, "Hey, man, I got your name number from this guy," which ended up being a mutual friend. And uh, he said, "Man, I'm running this Sweet 16 race in Valdosta, Georgia, this weekend, and I need you." And I'm like, "Well." when do you need me down there? He's like tomorrow. And I was like, buddy, it it don't work that way. Like it's Tuesday evening. And now you want me to come to Valdosta, Georgia, which is like a five hour drive. And, uh, he's like, yep, just get down here. We'll work it out. So I call my buddy that referenced the deal and he's like, oh yeah, this guy's legit. Well, I get down there and it's Fletcher Cox, the, some all-star defensive player for the, uh, Philadelphia Eagles has this drag car. And he owns the team and has a guy driving it. And long story short, we hit it off and we blew up one motor on Thursday. But uh, we ended up walking away with the pole position and set the basic record for the class. uh, Eighth mile race at 366 with a seven at 203.61 in the eighth mile. That's a radial tire, no wheelie bar. That's insane. Dude, it's badass. So I don't know what the future holds with this guy, but he's basically wanting me to come to all his races and all that crap now just to help him out. And uh, taking some funny car information over to a ProMod car is kind of fun. And moving forward, if it works out, then so be it. But uh, trying to do some more light-duty stuff, that was pretty interesting. You know, not really having to do a whole lot, you know, because I I don't have a whole lot of back stamina yet. But you know, running the valves and helping his guys look for things that would be normally problematic. And if you didn't catch it early, you would have a problem. So did that race this past weekend and we ended up losing in the semis. We just kind of overpowered the track for the conditions, but it happens. So he was over pretty, pretty excited about it. But yeah, we walked away with the 
with the record. So we kind of went in hoping to run a low 70 and we run a 66. So the weather kind of came to us and everything lined up right. There you go. So this, this is my last question. And then you can ask me some stuff, I suppose. In ultra four, what do you think is the next technological mechanical technological advance? You've seen a lot over the last 12, 15 years. You've messed with a lot of steering. You've messed with a lot of suspensions, a lot of motors, a lot of balances. Yeah. What's the next? Where do you think we go? I mean, that's a million dollar question. You know, I would probably say that the next greatest situation that somebody's going to figure out is going to be brakes. And everybody says they got the best brakes in the market, but are they there when you need them later in the race? Are they there when they're cold? Are they there only when they're hot? That type of situation is obviously the harder you can drive a car into a turn and the later you can brake, most of the time you're faster through the turn. But it's kind of temperature driven. So I think the biggest thing is everybody's making big power now, you know, 490 inch motors that has, you know, 300 horsepower brakes on it. I don't think that's the end all be all, but I think it's all drivable. It's manageable, but I think some of the brake situation is going to be the, the biggest thing, whether it's a hydro boost setup or something along those lines that has a real pedal instead of a little thin rotor that's lightweight for, you know, that kind of stuff. All right. So uh, I'll fall down the rabbit hole with you. So okay. one of the biggest constraints we have there is uh, a 17 inch wheel and the 17 inch yeah. wheel is because it gives us on a 39 to 40 inch tire, it gives us this optimal sidewall and this optimal right. bias. So we right. have a set, a 17 inch wheel that we have to fit in the confines. Are you proposing a more robust caliper? Maybe and my say robust, I mean like bigger, like, you know, currently the calipers are uh, 25 to 30%. Yeah. around the radius are you say may we slap some like 50 percenters on there half moons that are you know eight piston or yeah i, I don't know I'm, I'm totally i'm totally going crazy in yeah, ideas I, mean, but, I think but, it i think it's i think it's a, a pad compound like even on tom's car we would try we changed pads to see what the brakes would do like let's change the pad compound and just see what happens so we changed pad compounds and his guys bled the thing out like they didn't really do. And then I still had not enough brake pressure for what it needed to be. And then uh, I bled it out the way I've always been taught to bleed them out. And we got some pressure out of it at each wheel. And I think the pad compound is the biggest key factor. You know, Tom runs all the uh, big brakes, like all the trophy trucks guys run, but it's all mechanical. There's no hydro boost or none of that kind of stuff. So I don't know if it's a, a pressure thing that he could get away with, with the pro-am setup that he has. But I think, uh, hydro boost is something that probably won't be too far down the line with a legit pad that doesn't need to be as hot to work. Or some type of boost, right? I mean, maybe it's electric boost. Maybe it's right, right. It just just something to get more. And maybe it's dual calipers, right? I mean, uh, right. the the one on, one on the front, one on the back, or whatever this. I, I don't know piggyback. I don't know what you right. But I'm I with did you. A single seat car. <laughs> I remember seeing, uh, and this was this was Lauren Healy. I don't think it was the dragon, but it might have been. It might have been after that. But I saw him go across the tabletop and grab brakes at some event. 
God, I wish I remember where it was. And literally they worked like it was. And I remember just mental note, like I got to go look and see what brakes he's running because that's the first time I've seen brakes work. Right. Right. I never, I've never had a car that brakes worked on. It's like, yeah, I mean, it's always been spongy. Like everybody's car I've ever been in to tune. It's like, oh man, this thing's the latest, greatest. And you're like, man, your brakes suck. And it's just what it is. Like, well, they work great when it's 500 degrees, but driving it around, it ain't got no brakes. <laughs> nah. So we didn't talk about what happened this past weekend at Moab. Congrats, Brian Crofts on your first win. That's pretty awesome to see, you know, a win come out of the Campbell, uh, Campbell stable. But James, what, what happened was, you know, Bailey Cole ran a really good race. I know you, you purposefully and intentionally stayed away from, from this. So Bailey runs this good race, but he was running, um, some lines that were liberal lines and he ends up, uh, colliding because of, I, he grabbed brakes. He slid for 60 to 80 feet was and hits Marcos Gomez, who was broke and off course. And that was the, the proof that Bailey was off course because he wrecked into a car that was off course, off course. <laughs> off course. And, you right. know, s- sad deal. Uh, you know, he thought it was uh, from minor saying he thought it was a legit line, but he right. ends up, uh, with the DNF at that point, but that puts Brian Crofts, uh, winning behind him, Darian Gomez. I got to congratulate Darian Gomez, Darian Gomez, Flacco, Flacco That's ends up in, in second. Uh, That's- isn't that in seniors old car? Now that you mention it, uh, Faravani Senior's car, I don't know if that's the car he was in or not, or that one got sold. I don't know. I, don't know. I watched it and mentally, <laughs> um, okay. And then, uh, JP Gomez, uh, rounds out the podium, but, um, right. yeah, I, 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 I still get excited about current, current ultra four racing. I never talk about like the current, we always talk about like the, the stories and it was cool to see Jason Shearer and Jason Blanton at, you know, series yeah. races. That was kind of cool. But anyway, man, did we cover everything you wanted to talk about? I marked off every box I had for you, man. You gave me more (laughs) tech and more detail than I thought I was going to get. And I am greatly appreciative of that. Man, I don't have really anything else. I don't guess. Well, I'm glad that I'm glad that we can still have this conversation and it not be a different one where you didn't make it through that crazy Saturday in February this past year. You know, you're a good friend. Talked to you, you know, a lot years ago and not as much here in the past couple of years. But, uh, uh, I think that's as, as we say, you know, it's, you're somebody who I go years without talking to, and then just pick up the phone and we're good to go. And, and in in February, that's kind of what happened, right? You know, something happened to you and you're like, dude, that's my buddy. We gotta, we gotta make something happen. And, um, your wife is identical to my wife in this. She doesn't know the racers, right? Right. The only the only ones I mean she does know some because she's you know like JT spent Christmas with us one year or uh, <laughs> yeah you know, which is that's an insane story itself but um uh, or, or going you know sailing in the uh, the islands with a bunch of racers well a lot of those racers on that trip those guys are all retired now right Doug Jackson he's out Clay Gilstrap he's out yeah you just you just start riding just rattle through them Dave Cole Dave Cole's not even running Ultra Four anymore he's a crew chief for Bailey so yeah <laughs> it's just crazy the world we're living in it may still be his company it may still be his organization but he's a crew chief so I, I love to see what that chapter uh, holds for him anyway man crazy times James yep. I'm so glad that we can have this conversation I'm so glad that you uh, you survived yeah a ride with the venerable Tom Ways. Man, I'll do it again next weekend if you'd have me. <laughs> and you know we I wouldn't would. change a thing. You know I we wouldn't would. change a single thing, man. Like 
all the help that I got from everybody in this community, it was insane. So I don't think it was just because it was me. I think it would be for anybody that's the next guy down the line or girl. So I think that's a huge thing for the community and having somebody like you kind of setting everything up and everybody that kind of reached out to uh, my wife in that whole situation. I greatly appreciate it. As we are done, I, I, this has been bugging me kind of the whole interview and no one can see it online. And so, I mean, uh, as you listen to this, it's just cause I've, we're on, you know, Skype and we're watching each other. You are wearing a, a Mason's hat. Yep. I don't know anyone our age. I know I said we we're done, but I don't know anyone our age that is Mason's. Tell, tell me about the Mason. My, my grandfather was a Mason. He passed <laughs> away last September and he was 93. I want to say he's probably the youngest Mason I've ever known. And at 93, so you're, what are you? 38, 38. Yeah. See, I'm, I'm, I'm spot on. You're, uh, you're in the Masons. Yep. Tell us about that. Like, uh, this is a, this is a, a generational, a massive generational gap. I don't know any, anything about him aside from Nicholas cage and, uh, uh, you know, his, his movie, uh, was it American treasure? What is it called? Uh, I don't know. It's probably, Probably not accurate. I'll be honest with you. So uh, Freemasonry is nothing more than a big fraternity full of pretty solid individuals. It's like the oldest fraternity in the world, I believe. It's basically, I can't really dive off into it too much because of what we're doing, but the uh, it's it's a way of making other men better. So at the end of the day, the Ultra Four community helped me out my freemason side of things fraternity helped me out and my family out and it's all in good i guess you'd say in in good it's it's nothing bad and if you get into reading everything online and stuff like that you get lost in you know we're sacrificing goats and killing cats type of oh, thing oh i didn't but think it was that at all yeah dude i mean it like like all my fraternity brothers that are freemasons now that are they're older people. And I, I kind of always hung out with older people. I always looked up to people that were successful and those people that are successful always ended up having something in common. And it was Freemasonry. And the way they, they portray stuff to me was like, Hey man, you know, you should probably look into that. And a couple of years of that and not really falling into it. Some of my buddies from high school got into it and they're like, dude, this is what you need to be doing. You need to get into this. You need to take a look into it. And I've done it. And man, it's it's the greatest thing I ever done. I should have done it when I was 21 years old. The people that I've met throughout the country drag racing, the people I've met here in my local town, that the lodge I go to, um, they're just genuine good people, and they want nothing better than they want nothing more than for you to be a better person, whether it's your character or not being a piece of shit to somebody, just being like a legit person and helping somebody out without actually expecting anything in return. And, and is it predominantly tradesmen, craftsmen, hands-on people? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's, it's nothing more than if, if you're a Mason and I'm a Mason, I would do business with you and you would do business with me, or you would give me an opportunity to do business with you or vice versa. Now, it's not saying that it's a, a cult and we're going to, you know, take over the world. It is just a way of life. And, and I wear a ring every day and I wear a hat when I can. So 
Some people look at you funny, but most people understand that situation. And if if shit went down and you needed to talk to somebody, you could talk to somebody. That's a Mason. So that is very cool. You know, we build support networks around us and sometimes they're, they're personal. Sometimes they're professional. And sometimes I don't know the right words. You, you gravitate towards, uh, well, you hold those people in your life that you cross paths with that, you know, you might not have something today, but in the future, you know, Hey, I have this issue. I can call yeah. them or support here. I'll give you an example. I needed help on a uh, solar. I'm looking at solar, you know, solar for, for my house. And I looked around and there's a lot of misinformation on the internet and it's all or good information. That's hard to sort through sift through. Right. So I reached out to someone that in my network that I know is that's in their wheelhouse, Derek West. I called yep. Derek West and I'm like, Hey man, this is going to sound crazy, but you, you have a few minutes. Um, I'm looking at to do this and Derek took time out of his lifetime and, and walk me through it. And then a week later, two weeks later, you know, a week and a half later, he hits me up again with a whole bunch more information. And right. I was just like, man, I don't have anything, you know, I can offer Derek on that, but, uh, but you know, I, I yeah. you know, asked the question, Derek, you know, me, he came back with all of this help and that is, you know, I'm going to attribute to this off-road fraternity that we have this, uh, yeah. this family of off-roaders that, you know, we, if it's out of race, you know, I'd rather give you the shirt off my back to make sure you get out onto that course so I can beat you on the course, but then we're going to race to the cooler, uh, after the race. And then if it's next week and you need a part and if they're back order and I've got it, let's drop, you know, let's FedEx it, let's drop ship it. Let's, let's get there. And, um, from a, you know, mental health standpoint, that's massive to know that you've got you know, that type of, you know, reach and Rolodex in your back pocket and you right. know, for the new racers coming in to know that there is this fraternity that they're, you know, that somewhat they're joining in, in, in ultra four and off-road racing. And right. there's this wealth of knowledge that yep. they don't have to, if they want to get in, they can get in and they don't have to recreate the wheel at every turn. Exactly. And it's kind of sad. You know, now I'm getting reminiscent of, you know, sad that, you know, like pirates gone and that remember how, how that free flow of information that we used to have there. Now right. it's not, it's not as accessible. Right. It's not at our fingertips like it was, but like when I was in California in the hospital, man, I had all the ultra four crowd hitting us up and then all my Masonic brothers hit me up and it, my sister was watching my kids at my house and somehow, some way, they clogged up the sink and so my sister's like freaking out that the sink's clogged up and all this kind of crap well she calls the plumber and the plumber's like giving her the runaround on getting the sink unstopped type of situation and she's like done all she could do to try to clear it out and it just isn't happening so april tells me about it and she's like, your sister's freaking out. You're going to be mad type of thing. And I'm like, how can I be mad? It's a sink. Like, it's not the end of the world. But don't don't get bent over trying to deal with this. So I'll call a friend of mine and see if they can come over and look at it. Just give me a fair evaluation on what I'm fixing to deal with. So I called a brother Mason over. And he's like, hey, man, I'll take care of it. And then next thing you know, that's it. I can't get a bill from him. He won't give me a bill. You know what I mean? Like he won't give me a bill and he played with my kids and made sure everything was good at the house. Like everything good. Y'all need anything? Nope. We don't need nothing. So 
fix the sink and carry on about your day, you know? And then on the backside, he know he knows that I would do the same thing for him. Just like this ultra four community. Like at the end of the day, everybody's got their little click or group, but at the same time, if something happened, everybody is all hands on deck. You know what I mean? And that's what I think is cool about the Mason deal. And it's same as ultra four crowd. We just do a little different stuff. Awesome. Well, thank you for giving me a little bit of insight. I Normally, I'm you know, prepared for certain portions and topics of the conversation. I right. didn't know anything about Masons. Like I said, I I know when you know my my grandfather passed away this past fall. You know, we made sure we had a, a one of his Mason rings that would fit on his hand, and uh, and he was buried with his ring, and it was a big yep. deal. And and uh, you know, I set his headstone, and he's got the the Masonic logo. I guess the protractor and ruler or whatever. I don't know That's what they are. Square and compass. Square square and compass. Damn it, yep. I'm way off. That's it. You know, on his gravestone, but um, yeah, no, I I just didn't. I don't know anything about it, I, and he wasn't someone who would ever talk about anything to anybody about right. anything. So I I don't I don't know any. It seems like when I would see that that logo, I would always think you know generationally you know like you know, these are you know World War Two vets and yeah. and and like of that age, and to sit here with you at 38 and I see you where I'm like. Huh. I know not I just know nothing about it. now I've got to go research some uh, uh Masonic temple stuff because interesting. You'd be surprised how many Ultra Four guys are Masons. Oh so. yeah, no kidding. So yep. I I'm the one who's outside. Like I I'm not an insider, I'm a total outsider on this one. You you, you know plenty of them, I promise you. Okay. Yeah. And if anybody wants to talk about it or has questions about it, they can ask me. Okay. I'm more than happy to answer any questions anybody's got. <laughs> no, no yeah. problem. I may have some more questions for you. Well, James, like I said, I'm glad I'm glad you survived through everything in in February. Tom, um, everything Tom did, I really uh, am very ecstatic about. You know, I, I not the not the situation by which I met and got a dialogue with your wife, but um, that you hit it out of the park, man. You outkicked your punk coverage. You married an amazing woman. Well done, sir. She's a uh, I mean, I know she's a keeper, but, uh, she's, she's yeah. definitely a keeper. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I've got a, I got a lot of making up to do. I did a Valentine's day at Del Taco drive through in Palm Springs. So I'm, uh, I got a lot of catching up to do. <laughs> yeah. The only way to one up Del Taco there is Del Taco and Barstow. <laughs> yeah. Testing. That would be great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey man. Well, thank you James for, uh, for coming on the talent tank. Thank you for going deep with us on, uh, some tech stuff and giving us a bunch of, uh, you know, foray into the, uh, the NHRA world where you kind of came from, but you're solidly one of our people in off-road. That's for sure. You can't shake it <laughs> for sure. All right, man, we will, uh, we'll catch you later on that note. We're out. Thank you for listening and taking a dive into The Talent Tank. Please like and subscribe on Instagram at The Talent Tank or our website, thetalenttank.com.